Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on select Fridays in May, each film touches upon artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, kicking off with Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro on May 10th at nortonsimon.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Film Week on L.A. is 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Manuel Betancourt, Charles Solomon, Amy Nicholson, been with us reviewing films as well. We turn our attention to the annual series of classic films in historic theaters known as Last Remaining Seats. It's hosted by the L.A. Conservancy, the Los Angeles Conservancy, of course, dedicated to preservation of Los Angeles's most important his, uh, structures. It holds tours of his historic neighborhoods, and this is an important fundraising effort, as well as bringing attention to these wonderful theaters that we have in the Broadway Theater District. Joining us from the Conservancy, Director of Education, Sarah Lan. Sarah, good to have you with us again. We appreciate it very much. Absolutely. It's nice to be here, Larry. We're about halfway through. This year's series of films already screened has been Fritz Lang's Metropolis at the Orpheum Theater, Entered the Dragon also at the Orpheum, which is where we did our Film Week Academy Awards preview this year, and Planet of the Apes, which uh, was just on, uh, is on screen this Saturday night, uh, afternoon, I should say, Planet of the Apes, 2 o'clock this afternoon, followed by The Philadelphia Story, at 8 o'clock tonight at the Los Angeles Theater. So, Sarah, tell us a bit about the process of of first selecting the theaters, because there are a number of great ones along Broadway. How do you choose the ones to highlight? (laughs) That's the hardest part, because they're all so fabulous. Um, You know, the series began almost 36 years ago as a way to really promote and highlight and draw attention to these spectacular, yet at the time very overlooked and underused historic theaters in LA. Um, We really made it a point um, back when this series began to to let people gain entry to theaters that at the time people just could not get into. Now that's not as difficult because we have um, uh, the theater at the Ace Hotel, we have the Orpheum, that are sort of ongoing performance venues, but there are still some some venues that are harder to get into than others, like the Los Angeles and the Million Dollar, two of which are being featured um, on this year's series. So we look at getting people in to, of course, see beloved spots like the Orpheum, but also again into those theaters that are a little bit more underused or more difficult to access like the LA and the Million Dollar. I remember when I took a walking tour that the Conservancy had of the theaters on Broadway and the Los Angeles. What I remember most was the women's room they took us through was unbelievable. (laughs) It was like, wow, when you'd go out to see a movie, you know, in 1930, it was like, you know, luxurious even to go to the restroom. Oh, my gosh, it really was. I mean, can you imagine now walking into a movie theater and having an attendant waiting for you in the restroom to fix no. your hair and help you with your makeup? I mean, it's all it's the sort vanities of in there. They'll bring that back. I know. I mean, they have it a children's room so you could drop your kids off and have them be attended and played with while you watched the film. I'm waiting for the time when we get smart and go back to how they used to do it. 
Well, remember in Auntie Mame when Nora first sees uh, her pseudo-Japanese apartment, she sniffs about it looking like the ladies' room at the Oriental Theater. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and one of the things I wonder, Charles, is, you know, these historic theaters, which, you know, seat massive numbers, you know, 1,600 people, 1,300 people, I wonder if we're going to end up back something more like that because, you know, the multiplex was really around smaller theaters and having a surplus of films for people to see. Now the smaller movies go direct to streamers. What gets released are the Transformers, are you know, the films that on opening weekend can attract big crowds. I wonder if we're going to go back to something like the, the old theater model. Well, I mean, it's certainly fun, and they might think about one of these for the Oscars since the... Uh the theater where they have it now is vastly too small for the size the Academy's grown to be. I remember years ago doing, um, having to review uh, Three Caballeros at the Mayan Theater downtown, Mm -hmm. which is staggering. I wasn't prepared for a pair of concrete figures of Quetzalcoatl surrounding a brushed aluminum drinking fountain or a chandelier that's three versions of the Aztec calendar stone. They're just... These wonderful architectural extravaganzas. Yeah, and for years, the Mayan was an adult movie theater. I'm just trying to get this incredible (laughs) architectural show places showing, you know, movies shot in someone's basement. Sarah Land with us, Director of Education at the L.A. Conservancy. Uh, Let's talk a bit about the uh, choice of of the films that you make. Obviously, you you need films that that people know that are going to attract an audience. But what other things are you looking at aside from name recognition and excellence? That's a great question, Larry. And people ask me this all the time because they think that me or the education team is responsible for choosing these films when in fact it's a volunteer committee comprised of members and volunteers of the Conservancy who also happen to be great film lovers that spend at least three to four months choosing titles, whittling down titles, um, voting on titles. It's it's a really involved process and one I am so grateful that I don't have to do because um, the amount of knowledge that these volunteers bring with them in terms of um, what they think will sell, what it's time to do. I mean, we, we look at a lot of criteria and they're very careful about selecting films based on a couple of factors. One, like you mentioned, just popularity. Um, Another on timely relevance, you know, is there a big anniversary coming up like there was with uh, Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon last weekend? 50th anniversary. Exactly. You know, they look at what's happening, frankly, in the world around us and what might speak to that. They look at cult classics as well as favorites. So is there a film that already has a strong following. And we saw that with Metropolis. Um, You know, a lot of people turned out to see Metropolis that don't necessarily come to other silent films that we've produced, like the Charlie Chaplin's um, or the Harold Lloyd's. So they're really taking all those factors into account when they select our season. And and of course, a balance too. We don't want it to all be downers. We don't want it to all be romantic comedies. We want a good mix for everyone in in the series. Yeah, you can't show some like it hot every year as much as we'd like that. It's just, you gotta have... Yellow submarine would be fun on one of those screens. Yeah, Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about Metropolis and hear Manuel's thoughts on the film, but that must have been great seeing that on the or. Orpheum's big screen, that must have been a a real treat, Sarah. 
Oh, it was. And not just on the Orpheum's big screen, but also um, with the live accompaniment that came along with it. We had an incredible organist, Clark Wilson. Um, we flew him out from Indiana. There's hardly anyone else like him in the United States who can play an epic like Metropolis, a two and a half hour long film um, live like that. Nonstop. I mean, it's just a, wow. Yeah. I mean, nonstop. You know, we had a 10 minute intermission so he could stretch and drink some water. And then he was <laughs> back for the second half. And you just don't have that kind of experience um, just about anywhere else. So it, it really was a treat. Marathon organist. Manuel, your your thoughts about Metropolis? Well, I was going to I was going to talk about Metropolis a little bit. But also one of the things that I, I think you're getting at is that these these screenings are really meant to take you back. Right? Like they're really transporting you not, not just to sort of the world of Metropolis, but to this world where movie going used to be this very, uh, I don't want to say refined because refined feels like the wrong word, but it was an event and it was an experience um, where you really were surrounded by people who were sort of at the altar of what cinema was. And, you know, one of the things that I even looking at, uh, at, the, at the films that are coming up, I was like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen Philadelphia Story on the big screen. I don't think I've ever seen Auntie Mame on the film screen. I think a lot of these, because of I'm so used to, you know, I'm I'm in my late 30s. I'm like, I'm so used to watching things on my laptop, watching things on my television. And my television is not small, but it is no, <laughs> it is no, you know, Mail and Dada Theater uh, screen or Orpheum Theater screen or Los Angeles Theater screen. And it's one of the things that I really enjoy about the kind of repertory uh, programming that you can find all over Los Angeles and seeing these these films so that you can really you know not to sound like Christopher Nolan but like seeing them how they were supposed to be yeah. seen and envisioned to be seen and really sort of be a well, wash he's right he's and that, right. that yeah. kind of communal experience that was so important uh, like back in the 30s that probably every week you went to the movies if you were a little kid you went to the Saturday matinees if you were an adult that was an important entertainment that everyone could afford and everyone shared. Well, and to see it when you're in a movie, I'll never forget with our Film Week screening series, Jackie Brown with The Packed mm -hmm. House and Quentin Tarantino there in the audience and joining it. There's something about everybody so amped up and excited to see the film. Or I had the pleasure a number of years ago introducing Last Remaining Seats, a Chinatown screening at uh, the Orpheum Theater. And it was packed. And just everybody so excited to be there and to see this film that they love or for the, you know, maybe they're being taken by a family member who hasn't seen it. This is what their spouse has been talking about for years. Now they're going to see it with a big audience. It It is a really terrific experience. We're talking about the L.A. Conservancy's last remaining seats. It's a series of films at historic theaters in the Broadway district of downtown Los Angeles. This afternoon at 2 o'clock at the Los Angeles Theater, it's Planet of the Apes. Then at 8 o'clock tonight, also at the L.A. Theater, which is a must-see. It's a dazzling venue, The Philadelphia Story from 1940. Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, James Stewart, hard to beat uh, uh, three huge stars like that leading uh, in that George Cukor-directed film. Then coming up next Saturday, the 17th, it's Auntie Mame at the Million Dollar Theater. Again, as, as Sarah was just saying, that's a theater you don't get into as much. And for years, it was a Spanish-language cinema. And, and so um, for those who didn't go to see Spanish-language films, it, it was not not as much a destination as some of the other theaters. Of course, uh, for some folks, the million dollar was the main one they went to to see those films from Mexico or from Spain that were a, a part of their lives. Uh, the series continues 
Uh, next Saturday, June 17th, with the evening screening, also with the million dollar of Vertigo, the Alfred Hitchcock directed a classic with James Stewart and Kim Novak, uh, considered by many to be the greatest film made. Leonard Maltin will be the host of that screening. Of course, the film historian, critic, and frequent guest with us on on Air Talk. So that's the lineup. Uh, Sarah, you know, you have a lot of people I know who they do this every Every year they come and probably some people who make sure that they hit all of the screenings um, because this is something that they look forward uh, to every year. How much has this become a part of L.A. film culture? Uh, That's such a good question, Larry. I mean, I, I think it's become a real staple. As I mentioned, this has been a series that's happened now for almost 36 years. It began 36 years ago and it's been happening ever since, except for one or two years in there during the height of COVID, unfortunately. Um, but I, I mean, there's just not a lot of other film series with that kind of longevity. Um, and it's been really wonderful to see, see, like you mentioned, those people who return year after year after year, not just um, because they love being in those theaters, but because they're bringing other folks with them to experience the theater, to experience one of these incredible films um, for the first time. Um, and I, I think as as you you were all referencing earlier, that sort of collaborative theater going experience is something that people just love. Um, there's just nothing quite like laughing at the same punchline that you know and you know is coming, but with, oh gosh, you know, almost 2000 other people surrounding you. I mean, these theaters are massive, you know, they seat 2000 people in most cases or slightly under or slightly more so to sit there with you know hundreds of others and enjoy this this film uh, all over again or for the first time i think that's something that draws people back year after year after year now no matter how much you like some of those lines you'll never laugh harder than when you're seeing them with people around you laughing it becomes again that shared experience just to hear you know Roz Russell say well when you're from Pittsburgh you have to do something <laughs> <laughs> or the sight gags in Auntie mm-hmm. Mame another example where you know just the first shot of her apartment is going to bring an audience response yeah. you know it uh, we're talking about last remaining seats of the LA Conservancy um, you have uh, tours of the theaters in advance of the screenings is, is that a new feature Sarah? Well, we started this a couple years ago um, because I'm the director of education. I really wanted this experience to be somewhat educational as well as entertaining. So we started offering a couple of uh, of programs to go ahead of and after the film, including theater tours that people can book um, so that they can learn more about the details of this incredible architecture, the history of the theaters prior to seeing the film. And then we also started offering free Q&As about the theater following the film. So we bring on one of our expert docents, uh, our production manager, Bud Coffee, interviews them. And people have the option of staying in their seats to learn more if, if they're interested. Um, and, and these two programs have proven to be incredibly popular. I mean, clearly there's that wow factor when people walk in the lobby door and look up at those chandeliers yeah. or look at the marble on the walls. 
Um, but some folks want to know a little, a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more than, than what they can learn just from being inside. So, so yes, the tours have, have proven to be really popular. Sarah, when we did our, our uh, Film Week Academy Awards preview show earlier this year, I got the, the star dressing room there at the Orpheum, which, you know, has had everybody on the Orpheum circuit and, you know, you you name it, who's played that place. And if the walls could talk, I'm sure it would be incredible. But just being there, sitting there by myself, feeling the history of it in, in a place like that where those performers had been, it gives you chills. It's, well, it's had, a special it experience. Hadn't been a vaudeville theater for a while there? Was, it was, if I'm not, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, that was built to be the Orpheum Circuit's West Coast hub, right? And that was, it was was built for that originally? It was, and it was the last theater to be built as part of that hub of of, of producing film houses for the Orpheum circuit. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It certainly has hosted live performances, you know, way back from the beginning as well as, as films. Whereas the Ace was built to be a movie theater, to be the flagship United Artists Theater, uh, opened 1927, if I'm not mistaken, Sarah, and uh, with the stars who made up United Artists, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, and Charlie Chaplin, as I recall, uh, on stage there for the opening of, of that theater. And if I'm not mistaken, Sarah, the Los Angeles Theater really didn't have uh, much of a life. As a th- did, didn't that open so late? Was it 1930 that the theater action started moving west to Hollywood not long after? That's exactly right. The Los Angeles was really the last great Broadway movie palace to be built in 1931, if you can imagine what was happening in the rest of the country during that period. And it was the one that cost the most. I mean, it was truly sort of this edifice of glory and glamour. And as soon as it opened, it was struggling. I I mean, really, it opened with uh, Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. He was at the premiere along with Albert Einstein and a host of other celebrities. Um, and it almost immediately started losing money, um, not just because of the depression, but then, yeah. as you mentioned, Larry, um, shortly soon after, we started seeing movie palaces springing up in Hollywood, and the focus um, for the entertainment industry shifted west. And from there, of course, it went from Hollywood to Westwood, which became the film center for premieres in Los Angeles. Sarah Land, Director of Education for the L.A. Conservancy, thanks so much for joining us again later today. Planet of the Apes at the L.A. Theater this afternoon. The Philadelphia Story at the Los Angeles Theater tonight at 8 o'clock with two more films coming up next Saturday. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. Have a wonderful weekend. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Alleyist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events.